Well, it's a privilege this morning to introduce uh, Rennie Burris. Uh, he and I first uh, met each other and became friends when we were 18-year-olds, so that tells you how far back that goes. But we were uh, freshmen uh, on the, in the same dorm on the same uh, floor at uh, Grace University many years ago. And so we got to know each other a couple years there, and then uh, uh, we both uh, married, and uh, my wife Priscilla is second cousin, actually, it turns out, to his wife, Kathy, and uh, though they didn't really know each other before, before college years. But then we were able to uh, just enjoy each other as, as couples, as friends, throughout a couple of years in college, and then uh, at Dallas Seminary uh, as well, we overlapped some. Our lives kind of took different directions geographically, and uh, Rennie served in pastoral ministry in Pennsylvania as well as Ohio, and uh, so our paths have not crossed as often. It's been a real delight to uh, kind of hang out together again this weekend. Uh, his wife Kathy is speaking at uh, our ladies retreat as I mentioned and uh, we wanted to have Rennie come and share uh, this weekend as well and just some of the ways in which God has uh, used what uh, he has brought their family through and I know that uh, God's going to use it in your lives as well. So Rennie, good to give you the time. Thank you, Sid. It is, it is a delight to reacquaint ourselves and, uh, and reminisce and, uh, about memories that we've made. And, and uh, we, we kind of made a memory last night, too, and uh, I was feeling really, really bad because I thought it was my fault, but I'm going to let Sid tell you about that sometime. <laughs> but... Uh, it's 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 fun to reminisce and and remember, um, and and I'm going to kind of ask you to do that for a minute or two here, and uh, just in in your own mind, and uh, just think back uh, about uh, days or or nights um, that you remember, and I say it that way because you probably don't remember that many. Most of us here have lived a few days and slept a few nights. And as you think over the course of your life, there are only a few that come to mind when you think of nights or days that you remember. One of those days in uh, my life and in the life of my family, um, when I think of days like that or moments like that was August 16th, 2006. And um, um, I was at work and our oldest daughter, uh, Caitlin, uh, called me, which, by the way, uh, sidebar, um, Kathy and I have been married this June. Uh, this is just a little bit about our family um, that I forgot to mention at the beginning. Uh, uh, 40 years in June this year, and uh, we have uh, two daughters. Our oldest daughter, Caitlin, uh, graduated from Wheaton College uh, uh, with a master's in biblical archaeology, and she married a guy, uh, Jack, who majored in biblical exegesis, so he's a Greek-Hebrew uh, kind of a guy. Um, and uh, our, our other daughter, Brielle, uh, is an artist, 
she graduated from Columbus College of Art and Design and majored in, and majored in fine art, so she is a portrait painter. Uh, she works in a doctor's office now. Uh, she married a fellow from our hometown, uh, Jason, and he is an engineer at Honda uh, just outside of Columbus, and his job is, as I understand it, uh, overseeing the robots that do the welding and putting together uh, some of the vehicles that Honda makes. So, uh, so, so that's our that's our little family. And uh, but now back to back to remembering. On August sixth uh, of sixteenth uh, of two thousand and six, I'm at work and uh, Caitlin calls. And at that time, Caitlin would have been nineteen, I think. And um, said, Dad, uh, we, we just got a call that that Leisha uh, was was hit by a car down the road. And um, we had a third daughter, Leisha. And I thought, I thought, okay. She said, I, I think I think you should start home, Dad. And I, I said, okay. And I wasn't dawdling, but I wasn't I wasn't hurrying really either. And as and as I'm putting my things away, I'm self-employed, and and um, and I was putting my tools away, and and I thought, you know, regardless of what's happened here, Kathy's going to want me there. So I really kicked it into gear and got on the road, and I was a half hour from home. And uh, in a little while, uh, Kathy calls. And says, uh, uh, we're at the scene of an accident. And um, the EMTs are not working on Leisha. And they won't let me over there. And I knew in that moment that our lives would never be the same. I, I got there. And there were people from the town and people from the church and people all over the place. And um, Leisha had been on a walk just out in the country, just, just like here, just out, out in the middle of the, the soybean and cornfields of rural Ohio. And uh, while on her walk, a friend of hers had called. Her name was Abby. And Abby said, hey, I'm, I'm at church with mom, but mom's tied up and she's going to be a while. Uh, can I come get you and we'll go to, co- to go to the coffee shop and get some coffee? And Lisa said, sure, but she was on her walk. So she explained to Abby where she was and Abby was coming to pick her up. And as Abby approached in her vehicle, she beeped her horn uh, to get Lisa's attention. And Lisa sees her and runs across an intersection without looking. And she was struck and killed instantly by a guy in a Chevy Tahoe. And um, this was a real journey for Abby, too, because Leisha and Abby were very close, and she watched this happen right in front of her eyes. But Leisha died instantly. And um, uh, there's a lot. I, 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 of course, I'm going to leave out just because you, you don't want to sit here all day. But as, as things unfolded and, and you, you plan a funeral and you get relatives there and, and you're, you're working through all of this, um, 
it's I was not in the ministry at that time. I had uh, I had been out for, at that time for a year. But I, like Sid, I'm I'm a trained theologian and a, a trained uh, uh, Bible teacher, and so I'm I'm wrestling with okay. Here here's what I know about God, and here's what I know about these kinds of events. But God, there's a hole in my heart that the knowledge is not helping with. There's an, there's an ache like I had never felt before. And as you can see, I can be right there in that moment just talking about it. And it's been 13 years, but I'm, I'm right there. I'm, I'm reliving that phone call. And um, the thing that frustrated me, I'm, I'm an analytical kind of guy. I'm, I'm not an emotional guy. Um, and most of us guys are not anyway, nevertheless. Um, we, don't, we don't like it when our emotions show. That's just, you know, unmanly, you know. Um, but I could not get my emotions to line up with what I knew to be true. It still hurt. And um, husband, father, I'm supposed to fix things. I'm supposed to solve problems. And I wish I could have taken all the pain that Kathy was feeling as the mother. I, I wanted to do something to help that and there was nothing I could do. She wanted me to help too, but there was nothing I could do. We walked through it together, but we had to each grieve in our separate ways. And we struggled with that a little bit because we do it so differently. It's because we're made differently. And as I wrestled with, with the reality of, of, of what had happened and, and, and the lack of my ability to really do anything that would really help. I, I, I remembered a, a passage of Scripture that I had taught, that I had studied. And, and the Lord drew me to that passage. And so we're, we're going to talk through it this morning. And, and hopefully I can bring it to life for you in such a way that 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 whatever heartache you are experiencing, and, and people say, oh, the loss of a child, that's the worst kind. I'm not here to proclaim that to you. I'm not here to say my grief is any worse than yours. Grief is grief. Pain is pain. Okay, maybe it's it's the loss of a child. Maybe it's the loss of a parent, a spouse, a, a marriage, a job. That hurts. And I, and I'm not here to one up anybody. I, that's that's not what this is about. And and Kathy and the and the girls and I. She she was she was much better at the grieving process than I was. 
Um, and, and she helped our other two daughters uh, with that a lot. But the Lord brought to mind this, this passage of Scripture. And, and it's sometimes referred to as, as a lullaby. And, and you'll see why. Uh, it's Psalm 131. And so if you have your Bible or your, your phone app, whatever it is, I invite you to turn there. And it's, it's not long. It's only three verses. Um, but, but David, King David, uh, gives us a, 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 a process, if you will. And, and, and he reaches a conclusion and gives us an exhortation based on the process that he explains he has gone through and, and, and is giving it to, to us as, as a way of helping us deal with, with the reality that when, when things happen, we want to know why. We want to understand. But what we're going to see this morning, just like the title in, in your, your worship folder says, uh, we can acquire hope. We can strengthen our faith, just acquire hope, gain hope, uh, strengthen faith, uh, develop trust, kind of all this, this in the same, same family. All that can happen without really understanding fully. And, 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 and David presents that truth to us really in the sense that we don't get to know everything. Look, look at what David says. He says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great wonders or things too wonderful for me. So the first thing David is expressing to us is he has chosen to humble himself. He's chosen to humble himself. Whatever, whatever the circumstances were that, that brought him to this, to this point, he's saying, he's saying, okay, God, my, my heart's not proud. My, my eyes aren't haughty. They're not looking at you going, okay, God, what you going to do? What you going to do? My eyes aren't haughty. And, and God, I understand there are things that, that are beyond my comprehension. We say, oh, God's ways are higher than I will. That is true, and I'm not here to sing you that song, but, but I'm here to say, David is saying, okay, God, I, I get it. I, I want to understand, but I, I know that, that I have limits. And so God, I'm, I'm humbling myself and, and, and I'm coming to the point where I'm not, I'm not going to fret, I'm not going to worry, I, I'm not going to work myself up in a lather because of the things that I don't understand. Because there, there, are, there are things that we 
we don't get answers for. And David said, I'm, I'm choosing to be okay with that God. I'm, I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to be arrogant. Um, by the way, I, I, know, I know you know this, and, and you're not, you know, I can ask you a question. You're going to think, okay, what's this guy want? Uh, so you don't have to answer out loud, but just, just think in your mind. When, when, when is the first time in the Bible that, that you uh, can remember the issue of, of gaining knowledge? Or gaining wisdom. When, when did that first crop up? Yeah. Adam and Eve. When the serpent said, Ah, if you, if you want to be wise, eat this fruit. You're, you're going you're, you're to get knowledge and wisdom that God doesn't want you to have. God created us with minds that are inquisitive, with minds that want to understand, with minds that want to know. But also with minds that recognize we are not God. We will not be God. We cannot be God. And we need to come to a point where we say, okay, God. You, you, you are God. I'm, I'm not God. You're God. And, and I'm okay with that. But Adam and Eve said, no, we, 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 want to be, we want to be like God. And, and they ate the fruit. Because they, they wanted that hidden understanding that God says... You're not, you're not God. I have a good friend in uh, where, where we live, and his name is Greg. Greg works for a corporation in Lima called International Tank, and uh, they build these enormous multi-storied uh, storage tanks that you see at refineries and fertilizer plants and, and chemical plants and things like that. Just, just these enormous structures. And his, his company builds them and repairs them. And uh, a couple of years ago, eh, probably longer than that, but uh, Greg and I meet every Tuesday morning for breakfast. And uh, sometimes we look at scripture, sometimes we just talk about life. Uh, this particular morning, Greg was visibly distraught. And uh, I'm thinking, oh man, what is going on? Well, they had a fatality at one of their construction sites. And um, in that kind of business, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, the company they're working for, they get scrutinized. International Tank gets scrutinized. Uh, International Tank has a safety director. He gets scrutinized. OSHA comes in. Nobody wants that. No, nobody wants un, to be under that kind of examination because they're going to find something, even if it had nothing to do with the accident. The whole, the whole thing gets, gets uh, scrutinized. And so he was dreading that process, but the thing he was dreading most was the wife. 
And uh, she was busting down the doors. Somebody is going to pay. It, this is somebody's fault. And some, somebody's going to pay. I'm a widow. My children don't have a father. And, and, and somebody's responsible. And they're they're going to pay. Well, as it turned out, um, the fellow that, that, that died was known as Mr. Safety. Always on the other guys, clip in your harness. Where's your safety glasses? Why don't you have your hard hat, have your hard hat on? And he was in a man lift going up the side of, of one of these tanks on the, on the inside of the tank. And the, uh, the edge of the basket he was in was kind of scraping against the side of the tank. And it caught on something. And so it's, it's under pressure, it's under power, and when it breaks loose, it, it jerks, throws him out of the basket to his death. The safety equipment on the, <clears throat> on the basket was there. It was in order. Everything was working. He had his harness on. It was on correctly. Every, everything was just the way it was supposed to be. But for whatever reason, he hadn't clipped it in. Nobody knows why. His wife wanted desperately to blame somebody. But they concluded that for whatever reason, he just had not clipped his harness. I, I was actually, this, this, uh, this sounds bad, but I was actually grateful that it was my daughter's fault. I was really grateful, and I even thought that while I was at the scene of the accident, while uh, the deputy sheriff is talking to me, and the highway patrol is talking to me, and they were, they were very, very gracious, very understanding, but they just needed information, and they, you know... And, uh, and I remember thinking, I'm so glad I'm not going to have to work through trying to forgive somebody else for the death of my daughter. And that sounds crazy, but I, I really am. I, I can, I can, I, I'm not, I could be mad at her, but I, I, didn't, I, didn't, have to, I didn't have to deal with that emotional process. I would have, but I was I was selfishly grateful um, that I that I didn't have to. The thing that this psalm helped me with, and and you you you, you read these verses and 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 you say, well, what, what does this do for you? And, and so this is this is this is my emotional journey, okay? And and. Uh, Kathy went through an entirely different process, different passages of Scripture uh, the Lord used and the Holy Spirit used in her life. But this is one that God used because, as I said, here's Dad 
Here's husband feeling feeling like, knowing differently, but feeling like, I've I, I got to help my family. I, here's my wife falling apart. What, what, what do I do? Uh, my heart's ripped out. God, what do I do? I don't know what to do with this. And through this psalm, the Lord gave me permission. He said, Rennie, it's okay. You don't have to know. It's okay that you don't know. You're not God. And that was a tremendous relief for me. Uh, to be able to say, okay, okay God, uh, why is not an issue? Because it's going to be pointless. You can spin it any way you want. But this side of eternity, we, we, just, we just won't know. And by the way, we may not know, I may not know why when I stand before the Lord. Okay? We we think sometimes, man, when I get to heaven, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna find out what he was thinking. Um we might learn some things. But we have to also remember that even Jesus doesn't know everything. He tells us that that the, the, the only the Father knows the day and the hour. So why would we think that God would owe us an explanation. Now he may in his grace provide one. But how arrogant of us to, to think that, that God owes us that. And in my struggle I had to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When I... When I my heart grasps the reality that I just don't get to know everything. So David, in our little process here, has, has said, okay, God, I, I am choosing to humble myself. But, but he goes on. And um, uh, look at verse 2. Uh, there's a but. Okay, God, I, I've, hum, I've humbled myself. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get all, all emotionally tangled up and distraught about things that, that I, I'm not going to get to know. But, but I have calmed myself. And I have quieted my ambitions. I think in some of your Bibles it says, I have stilled my soul. Again, David has chosen to do this. He's made a choice and, and said, said, okay God, I'm, I'm not in charge and, and, and I understand I don't get to know anything and, and I've humbled myself but God, my, my heart. God, what about my heart? Help my heart. 
that's broken. And here's the picture David gives us. He says, I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So David finds contentment without understanding. Where does he find that contentment? Climbing up into his daddy God's heart. His daddy God's lap. Like a weaned child that doesn't need nourishment, it's, it's weaned. And, and David tells us that two times. He wants us to get that point. This child is not going to mom for food. This child is going for comfort. This child is going for contentment. And so David gives us that picture. Whatever he's struggling with. He's saying, okay God, I've humbled myself. and I'm just reciting the process. not don't mean it to be in an academic way. But God, I've humbled myself. I've wrestled through that. And God, in my brokenness, I've come to you. And I have found, I have found relief. In a way that only... God can do. I, I told you that that Kathy and I processed this in, in, in way different ways. And one of the ways she processed it was this book. And it's called Lovely Traces. Uh, well, the story's in the book, but... But, but because our daughter, Leisha, who was 15, had started her own little book, and she called it that. And the idea of the lovely traces is, is, is God's finger at work in life with the image of just tracing his gentle, soft hand through your life. And, and that's the imagery that, that Kathy has as she pictures God at work through this process. And I'm going to tell you a quick story about just to illustrate that and to illustrate how contentment came in one incident. And there, there are many others that she explains uh, in the book. And, and one of Sid and I were, were reflecting on this. And one of the things that, that Kathy does so well and frankly, I was amazed myself. She had been working on this, working on this, working on this. And, and uh, we, I don't know that she ever, ever at first dreamed it would actually be published. But, but she felt this was the process she needed to go through to, 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 to heal her heart. And after our daughter was killed, um, just because of our involvement in, in, in the church and in the community, uh, they, knew, they knew kids all over the place. And, and our home became, I don't know what the word is, uh, uh, Grand Central Station. Uh, and, and for days, 
when I came down in the morning, there were just bodies everywhere. Um, they were breathing, but, but they were just, you know, I, 10, 15 kids just sleeping wherever they happened to drop. And um, so I had, I had gotten up one morning, and I'm, you know, I'm tiptoeing so I don't step on somebody. Think, okay, these people are going to wake up, and what are they going to want? They're going to want food. And uh, good night, could they eat? Um, so I'm, I'm getting something going, and I'm getting the pancakes, and, and Kathy hears me, and um, uh, she starts coming down. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to read this, this to you. These are her words. I don't remember which morning it was. They all blurred together for a while. All I know is the house was still full of friends who had made their beds on the floor of the living room the night before so they could be with Caitlin and Brielle. Now they were already talking and fumbling around for breakfast. Yeah, they're saying, Dad, where is it? Um, As I followed Rennie downstairs, still combing through my hair with my fingers, I began to hum again quite unexpectedly. I hear Leisha singing in heaven tonight. Well, that was a song from a musical written, I think, in the late 70s, maybe early 80s, by Michael W. Smith and Andy Stanley. And in the musical, a girl named Leisha uh, was killed in a car accident. And so the, the story of the musical is this youth group struggling through the death of their friend Leisha. And by the way, that's where we got her name. Um, Kathy said, that's just why this song is important here. As soon as I caught myself, I was instantly mad. I had sung the song many times while she was alive. I had always changed the words to something like, I hear Leisha singing a new song tonight because she was there, she wasn't in heaven. She had known the original words because I told her the story of Leisha from the musical. And there were many times she would say as I tucked her into bed, Mommy, sing me my song. I'd noticed it uh, myself singing it often in the hours since she died, but today it made me furious. I reached up with my fist and pounded the lower part of the stair ceiling with all the strength I could muster. I can't hear her, God. I can't hear her sing. What are you going to do about that? Defiant, angry, I blasted my words at a God I wasn't sure had paid attention the moment my baby girl ran across the road. He let her die. He wouldn't do anything about this either. I'm not sure I had the emotional clarity to give words to my emotion then. But as I think about that moment, I feel it physically all over again. I turned the corner of the stairs and entered the living room. My eyes were full of tears and my heart ready to explode. I swallowed it all when I saw how many kids were sitting there with their mouths open. She didn't say that, but we're at her table. Mom, look what we found. Kate was certain I would be happy. I could tell by her countenance. And they pushed play on a little tape recorder, and Leisha spoke. I was startled. I hear Leisha. I don't recall her words, but after a few seconds, she said, I feel like singing a song. Tears gushed from my eyes. Sobs choked me as her voice spilled into the room. And, and she has the words of the little song Leisha was singing. I, I'm not going to read those. She says, I slowly sit down in my chair. 
I had all but cursed God for having abandoned me in this incredibly painful place. But seconds after my blaring burst of anger, he showed up with her voice. It was a different song than I had been humming, a song I had heard her sing many times while I played for her, and just a couple of weeks before she had sung it in the weekend worship services at our church. And there it was, her song, her voice. The tears wouldn't stop now. God showed up, and he brought Leisha's voice with him. If he could meet me so intimately in that moment, I had to believe he would meet me in the next, and the next, and the next. This was my poignant memory of hope. So there's an example of a child climbing up in Daddy God's lap for comfort and contentment. And that's how God did it in that moment with my wife. He did it in other ways for me. He does it in other ways for you. But David's not finished. David has come to the conviction that he doesn't get to know everything. But he has also come to the conviction that he can find peace and he can find hope he can find contentment in what he does know. And because of that, because of saying, God, I'm I'm humbling myself, and, and again, I'm just rehearsing it, we've walked through the heartache and the struggle. Okay, so here are the words. I've humbled myself. I found contentment in you. Oh, Israel. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Now we read that, and and it's easy to think, oh, that's nice. Kind of like we close the prayer in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, we read that, oh, Israel, yeah, sure, sure, put your hope in the Lord. Yeah, now now and forever, yeah, that makes sense. But remember the journey that we've gone through. Remember, remember what we've talked about in this passage. David's, David's struggle to assuming who in their right mind says, okay, God, I'm humble now. No. We, we only get become humble when we've tried everything we can think of. And, and, and contentment just doesn't go, okay, I'm content now. It doesn't work that way, and you know that. Contentment comes when we've exhausted about everything we can think of. And we have to say, okay, God, I don't know what else to do. And that's the cry of David in this psalm. 
I'm not, I'm not concerned with things that are beyond my understanding. And, and God, I've quieted my soul and, and I'm, 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 I'm sitting in your lap and I need your arms to wrap around me. And, and that's the sense in which, which David says, Oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord. But what is hope? Biblical hope is not, man, hope it doesn't snow anymore. Or, man, I, I, hope, I hope the roast doesn't burn, or I hope the restaurant's not out of my favorite dish. You get the, you get the picture. We talk about hope all the time, but, but hope, biblical hope is a confident expectation that God is going to do what He says. It's a confident expectation in God's character to keep His Word and His promise. And I, and I just read you a story from an incident from, from, from Kathy's experience in wrestling with God through this incredible pain. And how God, and, a, and nobody else in the, in the room realized what had happened because that was between her and God. Only God knew she had just yelled at Him. I didn't know about it till later. So, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. In in order for us to really hope, this, this is just a statement to hopefully clarify what we're doing when we really hope. We've experienced something a loss, a, 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 a grief, and, and, and okay, how, how, how do I hope? Here it is. We have to trust the present. Tragedy, grief, pain, broken heart, for whatever reason. We have, we have to trust that God is going to use the present in the future. Trust that God is going to use the present pain in the future. So what's the theological term for God doing that kind of work? He redeems it. He redeems it. He he saves it. So hope is, is trusting God to redeem this awful event. Whatever it might be, it's trusting God to redeem it and to use it for His glory somehow. But you know what? He can't do that with us if we're saying, God, I've got to know. And God, you let my daughter die. You you can't comfort me. Look what you did. 
Look what you allowed. We're not going to experience God's grace and abundance with that attitude. It doesn't work that way. Because we're demanding to be like God and know it all. And as long as that's the heart, God's going to say, okay, 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 it's yours. I'm sure Sid has taught you um, the, the, the chapter 11 of Hebrews. And um, it's, it's kind of known as, as the Faith Hall of Fame. And um, here's how it starts. And, and, and the first verse is going to, to um, tie faith and hope and trust and confidence. Uh, confident, it's going to try it all together. Listen to what he says. And don't, don't, don't turn there. Just, just listen. Just look at me. Now faith is being sure of what we hope and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not. Confident expectation. And then in chapter 11, he gives us a list, and, and I'm just going to run through it. By faith, um, uh, we understand the universe was created by God's command. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And so there's a little story here uh, about all of these kind of a summary in Hebrews 11. And, um, and then he goes, um, uh, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses, by faith uh, Israelites passed through the Red Sea, by faith the walls of Jericho fell, by faith the prostitute Rahab was, was welcomed by the spies. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith, hope, confidence, confident expectation in God's promises, some faced jeers, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They had hope. They were faithful, even though they did not understand. They didn't understand. But they were faithful. And then... And they and get just I, I can't I can't stop without without pointing this out. He says in, in chapter twelve, verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and, and listen to this, and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy before him endured the cross scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like he humbled himself. 
He found contentment with the Heavenly Father and his hope was sitting at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. For the joy before him, okay, that, that comes first, that's, that's, that's the hope, he endured the cross and the shame. So, as much as it feels like, God, why did you let this happen? He did it too. He did it too. He endured the cross. Oh, part of the difference is he was still God and he understood the plan. So, so we've talked about this process. Um. And we've talked about the fact that God wants to redeem for future purposes. Okay, if you, if you heard nothing else this morning, hear this. All that we've talked about this morning will not work. It's hot air apart from a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Because unless you have humbled yourself before Jesus Christ... And said, okay, God, I can't get to heaven on my own. And unless you've said, God, I'm, I'm coming to you for contentment because I can't find it anywhere else. And unless that's happened in your heart, you're, you're sorry, you are incapable, spiritually speaking, of doing what David describes in this text and what we've talked about this morning. Because the Spirit of God does not dwell in your heart. And what we've talked about this morning is a work of God in your heart. But it requires you to humble yourself, to find contentment, and to choose, to choose. Say, God, I don't know how you're going to redeem this, but I'm trusting you. I don't get to see, I may never know, but God, my hope is in you. Lord, thank you for these words that are hard to hear, especially for hearts that are broken and hurting. So God, use your spirit however you need to this morning in this group. In Jesus' name I pray.